You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Today on the Atlanta Enquirer podcast, we'll talk some hoops with Mike Latulip. He will join us to break down his thoughts on a not-so-great-looking 21-point win against Alabama A&M for Illinois basketball, but a nice performance by Matthew Meyer, who's stringing together some nice performances. And we'll ask him, a former player, what he made of the post-game press conference. We've had some interesting ones. I think that's an unbiased way of looking at it. I know some people think... Some of us in the media have overreacted to that. I think others can see why that's interesting story of what's happened at those post-game press conferences. But we will ask Michael Tulip, uh, and he can give us some insight there. But a lot of football to get to before we get to the early signing period, which is basically the signing day. Everybody basically signs on this early signing period that starts on Wednesday, ends on Friday. I am Jeremy Warner, by the way, Alana Enquirer publisher. We will do uh, a podcast. I'm trying to do a live podcast on Wednesday uh, around signing day at some point, probably in the morning as we get a little break from a a lot of the national letters of intent that start really rolling in 6 a.m. because they can send them in at 7 a.m. Eastern time, um, 7 a.m. wherever they live. So that'll start at 7 a.m. Eastern time, which is 6 a.m. Central time. Time zones for you right there. Uh, didn't think you'd get that on the podcast. But uh, we, we got some news we got to talk about. I'll, I'll preview signing day, a couple new commits, and we will address the quarterback transfers, uh, which I wrote about the other day. First, we got to get to it. Uh, a good timing. Uh, smart by Illinois to do this right before signing day. Uh, Brett Bielema has signed a contract extension. I'm sure this has been done for a while, but I'm sure he wanted everything else to kind of play out, uh, especially with his coaching staff. I think he knew Ryan Walters was likely really looking for a head coaching job and likely would get one. But this makes all the sense in the world. When you have a good coach, you keep said good coach. And I do think this just shows Brett Bielma wants to be here. He signs a contract extension, a new six-year contract, so it's basically a two-year contract extension on top of his original six-year extension that will give him a raise to $6 million, which is up to up from $4.4 million on his previous deal. Uh, he'll get annual raises, and this is from the Illinois press release, the opportunity to earn various bonuses, which includes a $500,000 annual retention incentive. The contract also provides for up to one-year extensions if certain performance thresholds are met. This is all subject to approval at the January Board of Trustees meeting. This is what happens when you have a good coach. You reward that good coach. We have seen that with Brad Underwood, and now we're seeing it with Brett Bielma, who just had the best Illinois football season, uh, led Illinois to the best Illinois football season in, since 2007, 15 years. Eight and four, they wanted to be better, uh, but they go five and four, eight-plus wins for the first time in 15 years, above 500 in the Big Ten for the first time in 15 years, in the AP Top 25, in a January bowl game against a good SEC team in Mississippi State. I don't think anyone's arguing uh, with this contract, and it looks like a great fair market contract. Brett Bielma is about to make the same amount of money as P.J. Fleck. 
And even though he's beaten P.J. Fleck the last two years, uh, I think he's going to make a little bit more of that because of the incentives on this deal. But that's about right. P.J. Fleck and Brett Bielma have both done a very good job in building up programs that not great in the Big Ten, not set up uh, with historical success in the Big Ten, uh, but certainly have kind of led, solidified those programs is middle of the pack in, in the Big Ten, which is a huge step forward for Illinois and just the individual development that's happened at Illinois with guys like Chase Brown, Devin Witherspoon, uh, Johnny Newton, Sidney Brown, like go on and on and on. Um, but this makes sense. He's not making as much as Matt Rule, who just got an eight-year, $72 million deal. He's not making much as, as much as Luke Fickle, who I believe was 56 over eight. Uh, he's making over $7 million. Uh, he's making just under what Kirk Ferentz is making. Again, those bonuses, incentives, you, you never know uh, who, who's making more there. But this is a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten salary at this point. Of course, you know Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, James Franklin, Mel Tucker, making Mondo money there. But this is, uh, is big-time football here. Uh, this is the Big Ten. This is Josh Whitman stepping up and giving the man money, and I don't think any of us uh, disagree with it. Uh, this is deserved. And to add two years to the deal – it just shows that Brett Bielman wants to be here. I think him uh, and his wife building the, the big house that they have in Champaign shows they want to be here for a long time. And uh, I, I don't think you can have to go through every year of thinking Brett Bielma will leave um, because he had success here. And maybe in his early years, if he had this kind of success at Illinois, maybe he leaves and looks for a bigger job. I, I think he he did that once. He, he looked for greener pastures. And there are reasons to do that. Wisconsin not investing as much in him and his staff. Uh, So he decides to go to Arkansas, the SEC, try to win national championships there. I I think he sees this is the right place for him and that he could have – I keep mentioning this. This could be Brett Bielma's legacy is Illinois. If he obviously led Wisconsin to three Big Ten championships, whether it's fair or not, and it's probably unfair, he'll always be thought of the guy who rode – the coattails of Barry Alvarez. Barry Alvarez was the AD there. Um, that's not completely fair. I'll say that again. He was a really good coach, but I think he wanted to blaze his own trail at Arkansas and do something special there. I think he understands. I keep saying this. There's going to be a Brett Bielma way or Brett Bielma building. Like If he is the guy to give you, you know, sustained success at Illinois, he will go down as potentially you know, the best modern coach at Illinois. Like Mike White, it's been a long time since since he was here, uh, ran into the NCAA trouble, all that, and, and all that is history. But in a generation or two, um, he could be the guy. And it certainly has started that way. So Josh Whitman's smart to do this. All right, we got signing day coming up uh, on Wednesday. I'm calling it that. Early signing period, sure, it's three days here, but most of the recruits now sign on signing day. You got to lock up these spots, man, because they can go to a transfer or they're not going to be there in January. You can still find some guys that that sign in January and February, and Illinois has done that with a couple guys, Matthew Bailey, uh, Josh McCray. They've done pretty well uh, on that, so it's not all over. But Illinois does add two commitments over the weekend. No surprise here. Juco cornerback Caleb Patterson, that's what they look like, 6'2", 185. His coach said he runs a sub 4 5 40. Uh, certainly a big physical corner in a room of corners that is pretty small. You know, Lovey Smith recruited some small corners his last couple years. Uh, so Taz Nicholson, really good season. When he got hurt, it showed for Illinois. They need someone opposite him with Devin Witherspoon now going pro uh, and skipping out of the bowl game. Um, so they need Caleb Patterson. 
Uh, he gives him a, a red a sophomore here. He's going to be a sophomore next season. Has some maturity to him. Has some experience to him at the JUCO level. But Taz Nicholson's under six foot. Tyler Strain's five foot nine. Um, Xavier Scott's five foot eleven. Those are some of the guys you're competing with. Uh, some of the freshman Illinois is bringing in, uh, and some of the guys that are freshmen now. You know, Tyson Rooks is six three. Uh, Elijah McCantos is six foot. Um, you got some bigger corners coming in this class. Sabor Kareem is 6'3". They want to get bigger, longer, stronger on the perimeter. And Caleb Patterson helps kind of bridge that gap, gives him another guy that can come in and make an immediate impact and, and at least force competition. I, I think at worst, he fills the Terrell Jennings role. At best, he's a starter for you. Now, Jeremiah Warren is a three-star sleeper kid from uh, a great program at Belleville, Michigan. Two-time state champion. You turn on the film. Good player. There's no doubt he's an FBS defensive line prospect. I think he's about 6'3", 285 pounds. Show some decent burst, um, especially sideline to sideline and chasing ball carriers. Well coached, some good technique. I think he's kind of a blue-collar, Tymere Oliver type. Of course, all of this, it's not against Jeremiah Warren, but the defensive line class, they got three guys. They certainly addressed depth issues there. They needed bodies. They needed Big Ten bodies, and they have that with Mason Moragan, Alex Bray, and now Jeremiah Warren. But whenever you talk about this defensive line class, you're going to talk about the misses because those three guys I just mentioned, I'm not saying to write them off because of this, but they didn't have any other Power 5 offers. So the recruiting part of winning recruiting battles for defensive linemen didn't work out so well. Roderick Pierce, he lost twice. Jamel Howard, sounds like he might go to January, February in his recruitment. I guess that one's still going, so you don't write it off yet, but Michigan and Wisconsin seem to have the edge. He didn't visit Illinois the last couple weeks. Uh, and then losing Jamarion Harkless hurt. Uh, couldn't, couldn't end up with Purdue and Ryan Walters, but he was exactly what you need in a, in a nose tackle. Uh, and once he decommitted, it seemed like Illinois and, and Harkless kind of moved on from each other. But that defensive line recruiting certainly seems like it needs to improve, but in just winning those recruiting battles – but I don't want to write these guys off because I think Mason Morgan was under-recruited. Uh, from what I understand, Alex Bray had some pretty dang good programs looking at him after he committed to Illinois. And, and both those guys, I, I think, can be impact defensive linemen after add strength, add weight, uh, but certainly tenacious defensive linemen. And Terrence Jameson has really developed well. Now, he didn't land anybody of Keith Randolph's talent. He didn't land anybody of Johnny Newton's talent that I've seen so far. Now, can't... We'll see how he evaluates. It's going to take some time to do that, right? But the last few years since landing Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, defensive line recruiting has been an issue. You've landed Seth McConnell and these three guys as high school prospects. You lost two commitments last year, Brian Allen and Terrell Jones. And you've added T-Rod Edwards, who I like. Rasan Wilkins didn't make a big impact in the transfer portal. So it's just something to watch moving forward. But Jeremiah Warren gets his opportunity at Illinois, had a bunch of group of five offers, uh, and certainly has Big Ten size that Illinois needs and, and adds depth. So with those guys, probably wait two or three years and we can make a verdict uh, on how this class goes, maybe four years uh, at that. But signing day, two big announcements that we're waiting on. Jair Hill. Four-star defensive back out of Kankakee. And Malik Elzey, four-star wide receiver out of Chicago Simeon. It's been a long road. Two years of recruiting these guys for Illinois. We'll find out shortly where it goes. Jair Hill announcing at his high school on Wednesday, signing day at 3 p.m. And, of course, he added a little (laughs) excitement or intrigue to his recruitment 
as Jire Hill announced a top five that did not include Michigan, which everyone has thought Michigan was the leader uh, because he has visited Michigan many, many times. He's also visited Illinois many, many times. Of course, Ryan Walters was kind of his lead guy. George McDonald, kind of the lead area recruiter there, but uh, Ryan Walters was was really making the pitch to play safety. Um, Jair Hill to play safety for Illinois, and, and what a what a role that has been the last couple of years. But Purdue is in there with Ryan Walters, which is very, very interesting. Uh, Florida, Kentucky, SEC programs that uh, I believe he has visited. And then Missouri, which he has visited already. I don't know, guys. (laughs) I don't. Uh, Jair, I've talked with him many times um, and talked with people around Kankakee. It's always been Illinois or Michigan, from what I was told. Um, And I still think Michigan can end up winning this. This this could be one of those, let's build up some intrigue going into it. Uh, I'd still be surprised if it weren't Michigan. But Purdue being in there is interesting. And I just... Illinois, I think, has done as as well as they could. It just it they needed him probably to commit earlier, right? Especially with the Ryan Walters thing uh, leaving the program. But we'll, we'll find out on Wednesday. Jair has kept this one really tight to the vest. He's very tight lipped for anybody who's talked to Jair. Doesn't say much, uh, including to college coaches. So there's a little bit of entry. Good for him going into this. Malik Elzey is going to sign with the program. He said. Uh, during this early signing period, but will not announce his destination until the January 7th All-America Bowl. He has not visited anywhere but Illinois since decommitting from Cincinnati. I think Illinois should feel really good about that one, and, and what a what a coup that would be uh, to add Malik Elzey to a really good class here for Illinois. And that, and that would be my biggest thing, is I do think this is a pretty good class for Illinois, as, as you look at it. I think they've really addressed some needs well, running back, you get a four-star in Caden Fagan. Wide receiver, you're upgrading. If you get Colin Dixon, Kanari Wilcher, who's got great speed, on top of if you can add Malik Elzey to that, what a wide receiver class that would be. Offensive line, kids with a lot of Power 5 offers. Brennan Henderson, uh, Desmond Schuster, Juco kid, uh, certainly makes an immediate impact for you. But T.J. McMillan, many Power 5 offers. Zachary Amlin, many Power 5 offers. You're upping every year what you're bringing on the offensive line. Defensive line, again, we just covered that. Outside linebacker, Kevin Kane did a really good job here. Calvin Smith is is a fantastic prospect. He's got special burst off the line of scrimmage. And then you had something different in Pat Farrell, who's a long, strong guy. Then you go to DB. Love this class. Um, I, I know Jair Hill isn't in it at this point, but Sabor Kareem, I think, is is a similar prospect. Um He's he's probably my favorite prospect in this, in this entire class. 6'3", 180. Ridiculous athlete, fluid athlete for his size. I think he can play corner, which is really hard for a six foot three guy because usually you're just a little bit more stiff. Then those small guys don't move as quick. I think Sabor could do it, but I also think he could be a star free safety. You add him along with Jaheim Clark, who's one of my favorite prospects in the class, and Zachary Toby, a former North Carolina commit uh, who's got a really high floor that's a really good group of DBs uh, along with Caleb Patterson, the Juco kid in there. And Antoine Hayden was a really good scout by Illinois, East St. Louis linebacker. To get him in early in this class, I think he's provided a lot of excitement on Twitter. Kind of a, a loud kid, and it's fun. He, he's a loud, fun kid. Um, and I think he just brings a lot of energy. He's kind of a tweener defensively, but he's a really good athlete. Really good athlete, and I think he can find a home. Maybe he's a versatile piece, kind of like they use Kanena Odaluga as a blitzer at times. Bring him off the edge 
play him at linebacker. I think he can do a lot of those things. So um, this, the areas you, you wonder about are defensive line and quarterback. Cal Swanson, probably wait a couple years. Really good talent. Really good talent. I love his running ability. Uh, he can make plays. You watch his high school film. Like That kid must have watched Johnny Manziel growing up with the way he like runs around and make plays. He's got to refine himself a little bit. Um, but from everything I've heard, he processes information well. Um, he was on a young team this year, but certainly has talent. Wait a couple years. We'll see where he's at. And then Nate Gwynn, a tight end. Really good talent. Um, 6'5", as Coach said, he runs about a 4'6". Even if that means he runs a 4'7". That's pretty good, but he's going to need uh, some time to develop. And then add some uh, specialists here. David Alano, Declan Dooley, uh, all coming in early in this class. Um, obviously, specialists need to be upgraded. Kicker was pretty fine for Illinois, pretty good. Uh, but punter, Declan Dooley, I think will compete with Hugh Robertson right away. All right, before I get out of here, let's address it. Illinois hosted two quarterback transfers in the same week last week. And they're two really good ones. Two top 10 transfers, according to 24-7 Sports. Hudson Card, Texas quarterback, I heard made a quick visit to Illinois. He's the number three overall transfer in the 24-7 Sports rankings. Then you have Luke Altmeyer, a redshirt sophomore, going to be a redshirt sophomore, out of Ole Miss, who's the number seven quarterback transfer in this class. I think that alone should be very promising. Because this is a game of musical chairs right now for Power 5 transfer quarterbacks. There are only so many spots available, and we're already seeing some of these get taken up really quickly. Devin Leary, uh, there was a little mutual interest there. Donovan Leary's older brother, NC State quarterback. Uh, He committed to Kentucky this morning. We're recording this on Tuesday. And the fact that he's going to Kentucky, you know, there's Drew Pines going to Arizona State. I think that's showing that these guys are trying to lock up their spots and that this could happen quickly. And I think Illinois is in a great position to get a very talented quarterback. The transfer portal has been massive for Illinois, just transfers in general, to get quarterback talent. Because Illinois, really since Nathan Shieldhouse, you could put Aaron Bailey in there as a four-star prospect, but it's been a long time since they have added really high-level talent at the quarterback position. Riley O'Toole, maybe, in that list. Was he a top 500 guy? Um, But they have relied on the transfer portal to upgrade the talent at that position, whether it's A.J. Bush, whatever you think of him, was a massive upgrade. Brandon Peters was an upgrade. Uh, And then you get Tommy DeVito this year, who obviously was the best among them. If you can add one of these guys, it'd be massive. Hudson Carr, to me, has the higher floor. He came in, showed he can play quarterback and start at quarterback and play at a high level. The problem... He had number one prospect Quinn Ewers ahead of him. He's got number one prospect Arch Manning coming in behind him. So he needs to go find a place to start. Barry Loney Jr. has some connections to him, but Hudson Card is a very accurate quarterback, very mobile quarterback, good arm, former top 60 prospect. He'd be a massive coup for Illinois. He's one of the top transfers on the market. I think 24-7 Sports has him top 10. That'd be big. I've heard... Oregon was in the mix, and then Bo Nix comes back. Notre Dame's kind of been in the mix, but is he their top target? Not sure. Oregon State has been in the mix. Illinois has got to sell. And then Luke Altmeyer, uh, Ole Miss, came in and played the Sugar Bowl a couple years ago against Baylor when Matt Corral got hurt. Remember that game? Luke Altmeyer came in and made some plays. 
He also looked like he hadn't played a lot of quarterback at times. Threw a couple picks in that game, uh, but also showed some talent. He's got a good deep ball, very, very mobile quarterback, um, and, and get the ball out quickly, and ran under Lane Kiffin a very similar read-based quick hitter offense uh, that Barry Lunny wants to run. But Luke Altmaier, former four-star prospect, you know, was in a competition with Jackson Dart to be the starter this year. Jackson Dart won that one out. Uh, I, I was watching a couple games of Luke Altmaier, and he got hurt in one of the games he actually started. They were kind of doing the Michigan thing of start one quarterback one week, start next another one the next week against some of the lower competition. And then Jackson Dart kind of took it um, and and took it took the job. But Luke Altmaier is very talented. I do think he'd go through a little bit more growing pains. But Altmaier's three years of eligibility left. Card has two. I think that's massive. If you can get a little stability in that quarterback room. So I think it all sets up to Illinois getting one of those guys, uh, potentially, or another talented transfer. Because there's only so many spots in Illinois. I do think is one of the more attractive spots for these guys. So I would imagine that that should be known within the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, whatever it is, because Illinois wants a quarterback here in January. Both those guys want to get here in January. Well, maybe not here, but both those guys want to get in their school by January so they can run the offense and play. Now, some of you asking, can they land two? I don't think those two. Uh, it's hard to land two transfer quarterbacks. Maybe you can go do the Ryan Johnson thing, find a D2 kid. Uh, who wants the opportunity, could be one, two snaps away from, from a Big Ten job. But depth remains an issue. Donovan Leary, the only scholarship quarterback returning on this team with Art Sikowski. It sounds like becoming a graduate assistant or, or some kind of role with Illinois. Tommy DeVito moving on. And Kirkland Michaud is a walk-on that's got talent, but that's your depth right now, along with Cal Swanson, uh, who's coming in as a true freshman and uh, probably not going to play like they don't plan on him playing so the depth remains an issue but if you can land someone that has got multiple years of eligibility you can develop the talent behind them and you hope to continue to add prep guys and then if you lose one you can always go to the transfer market again but Illinois is definitely in play for some top talent all right when we come back let's talk to Michael Tulip about Illinois basketball what we learned against Alabama A&M what we learned in that post game what he makes of that and what he thinks of the upcoming bragging rights game. That's coming up next on the On Enquirer podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, time to talk some hoops. That time of week with Michael Tulip. We got bragging rights coming up, which is always one of my favorite events of the year. Could be a little snowy, a little hairy on the way down or the way up. We'll find out with this big storm coming in. But Mike, what's up, man? Uh, this is always an interesting time of year in college basketball, but especially with Illinois, because this bragging rights game, it always means something. It does. It's going to be interesting, right? A lot of transfers, a lot of freshmen. So when I was there and even previously, less movement. So that game year after year, there's history and this guy did this guy, this to this guy the previous year. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty fascinated to see what the intensity is like. I'm sure it's going to be packed. We'll see how the snow affects that and, and who all gets into the arena. But uh 
I love this game, man. It's one of my favorite ones of the year. Uh, time and time again, it delivers. And uh, I was a part of some good ones, man. We Tracy hits the floater and layup to 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 beat them. That's a, that was a good team with Jordan Clarkson and Jonathan Williams. And uh, I think we we lost 2012-2013. We were undefeated, lost, and then my other three years we won. Um, so that's that's kind of flipped. I mean, I think. What Illinois won last year. Mizzou won the three previous previous three. Yeah, Javon Pickett, man. Right side of that, man. Javon Pickett. <laughs> Javon Pickett. He's gone now, though, right? He's yeah. slew. Yeah. Don't gotta worry about him. No, it's always fun. Like Ravante Rice uh, had had the game winner, right? Uh, that was a phenomenal game. John did pretty well uh, in, in that series. I want to get back to this, Mike, but let's first talk about. The Alabama A&M victory, 68-47. On paper, that doesn't look so bad. For anybody who lived through it, it wasn't that great of an experience, right? Um, especially in the beginning of that second half. What happened for Illinois to allow an 18-2 run to start a half against one of the worst teams in Division One? It was a perfect storm. It was definitely a perfect storm. I thought the shot selection was poor. Um, a lot of early shots. In the shot clock, I thought they worked to get better quality shots in the first half. And then once you extend that lead, I thought they kind of took their, their foot off the gas a little bit. And that, to me, that's that's leadership. I mean, some of those guys in that locker room have to say, hey, let's push this thing to 30. You know, let's let's blow this thing open. Let's do our work in the first 10 minutes to where we don't have to continue to to scrap for the rest of the game like they did. And look, too, on, on top of that, let's call a spade a spade arguably your best offensive player was out of the game for a big stretch of that that offensive lull um and then you had a a kind of a hodgepodge of lineups that you're having two to three guys on the floor where that end of the that end of the floor is not necessarily their strong suit so as, as much as the defense at times probably was fine you know they spacing and and the lack of shooting and I thought they shot too many threes. It was just, it was a perfect storm. And you could see how much the tide kind of flipped once Matthew Meyer came back in the game. Uh, not only just offensively and getting out on the break, but contesting at the rim. He's, he's been just been tremendous with that and uh, getting out on the break and getting downhill and stride stop, shot fade, floater. He can, he's got such a vast repertoire offensively. And you could see that on full display because that game was over when he came back in. Last three games, Mike, of Matthew Meyer, and of course this dates back to the Texas game, right? 8.7 points, four rebounds, two blocks, one steal, just 1.3 turnovers, shooting uh, ridiculous, 64% from the field, 53% from three. What's changed for Matthew Meyer? He's a really, really good basketball player, man. And we know it can be a bit wild at times, but – that can play to their advantage. Uh, that can be advantageous because when you have these lulls, you kind of need a guy that's just not thinking. I, you see some overthinking from guys at times, I think trying to figure it out with, with the five out and the structured randomness. And um, he's a guy that can just go and he's settling into his role, a role I think we all envisioned for him, a role he probably envisioned for himself being one of the top kind of go-to guys on this team and look he has high expectations for himself and, and this staff has high expectations for him 
And it's difficult when you're the grad transfer. I think everybody assumes just it's plug and play. Mm. But when you're used to to certain you know way things have been done for years and years in Waco, and same thing goes for Terrence um, down in Lubbock, and then now you you shift and and Brad does things differently. He does shootarounds are different, practice is different, terminology can be different, and there are elements when you go into a new situation where you kind of are a freshman, in, in a sense. So I know we talk about a lot of the freshmen, but you know these guys have elements of freshmen to them as well because there is so much that's new and I think he's starting to get used to that um we've seen that's rear we've seen that rear its head in a myriad of ways but you know the more they become comfortable with what you know what takes place and what the standard is and what the culture is the, you know the more that you're going to see this team take off and he's a big part of that you mentioned overthinking I'm going to imagine that goes with with Coleman Hawkins who had five turnovers and just really didn't look at the rim uh, to shoot the ball. Brad Underwood got in his face a couple times about that. And then, listen, Terrence Shannon had a nice bounce-back game with 18 points. I thought he could have gone for 30 uh, if he would have been a little bit more aggressive. So what do you think they're going through right now just when it comes to finding their spots? Yeah, well, I'll start with Coleman. Definitely some overpassing. I don't worry as much about the turnovers. When you're a guy that has the ball in his hands – as much as he does, turnovers are going to happen. What you don't want are the are the jailbreak ones. He had a couple of those in that Alabama A and M game, and look with Coleman, it's not necessarily as simple as you know he's overpassing. He needs to shoot more. In my opinion, he just needs to attack more. Yes, um, and and not predetermine what he's going to do. He's smart enough to to read the defense and say, hey, I'm going to be in attack mode. I'm going to get downhill, and instead of taking that one dribble and picking it up at the elbow to kind of stride stop over like let me see if I can get downhill let me you know let me Barkley like they call it right where you can turn flip back down a guy now you got eyes on you and you can just read the defense uh, you know he can get sped up at times and then with Terrence you know, Terrence has a, a proclivity if you will to float at, at times offensively you can kind of see him shuffling around and um, I think he's starting to figure it out a little bit with some of these cuts. And uh, I think that the the iteration of, of the spread offense and, and what they're throwing in there will help him. Because not only is it a lot of dribble handoff, it's a lot of get action where you're throwing it to, to Coleman and kind of getting a running start, going into a handoff, beating your guy to the handoff and getting downhill, putting pressure on the defense. And um, But defensively, Terrence can be one of the best defenders in the country. And he showed that a couple times. Um, he had t- some of those Alabama A&M guys in hell mm-hmm. um, when he was guarding them. And and look, for a lot of these guys, and this is just college basketball in general, when you play teams that are lower level, mid-major, low-major, you can't have this certain level and dis- disposition to yourself defensively because you smell blood in the water, right? I'm going to get into a guy. I'm a pressure. I'm going to try to you know, steal the ball because I know I can and then when we play these high majors, it's a little bit different, right? Like ball pressure is ball pressure. You need it every time because it, it limits the straight line passes and straight line drives. And that's that's where Terrence has to continue to challenge himself. You saw him get out on the break and take, you know, taking defense into offense like he does. And um, that's where he can continue to take that next step. Uh, you know, him just kind of floating around and disappearing at times like he does. 
he could do that at Texas Tech. There was a certain level of guys that could cover stuff up for him. He can't do that here. Um, he's counted on too much to do that. And he's figuring that out. And I think his leadership, although certainly took a step back in the Penn State game, I did like some of the things that I saw from him in that Alabama and A&M game. Look, we focus so much on that stretch where Alabama A&M climbed back into the game. There was a lot of good stuff that took place in that game. Yeah. A lot of stuff that you could build on. And I, I don't want that to go overlooked because um, there were some good things. But for Coleman and, and Terrence, we, we talk about those two a lot because they're counted on tremendously. So I'll, I'll say that about those two guys, and they're going to continue to be big pieces moving forward. Yeah, and R.J. Melendez's injury certainly impacted this game, right? Because you're talking about the lineups Underwood had in there during that that bad stretch. We're not really offense centric uh and rj was in there with the shoulder felt like he couldn't shoot very well underwood said it was a bruise but that that played a role in that game yeah and look rj's again another important piece we talk about that third to fourth guy on your team when your third to fourth guy is really good this you know that ceiling goes even further and for him i thought he did a lot of really nice things especially on the defensive end in that game uh he came in late in the first or I guess later than he usually does in the first half. But I think what you're seeing as these games go on is RJ, Terrence, Coleman, Matthew Meyer, you're going to have to ride those guys for extensive periods of time. Cause that those, I mean, when those four guys are on the court, that's the best version of this team. And then kind of plugging and playing whoever's got it going for that fifth spot. And maybe that's Luke Goody mm. when he comes back. Yeah. And, and maybe it's one of the freshmen, whoever has it going. So you can just tell that game changed dramatically when those four guys were back on the floor together. It just did. There's a certain amount of length, skill, um, ability to do it on both ends because a lot of those guys possess that. And RJ certainly fits that bill. So uh, he's had some injuries. He's had some foul trouble in some games. And I think he's settling down a little bit too where he has doesn't have to feel so – kind of offensive driven where it's like, Hey, do I have it going? Do I have it not have, do I not have it going? Um, he's a big part of what they're, they're doing, man. And that four man group is really going to determine how far this team goes. We can talk about the ancillary pieces and the other guys on this team, but those four guys need to be right and, and need to be in the game. So, um, that's what I'm looking for moving forward is how those four guys continue to, to push forward. Okay, Mike, this is the second game in a row where our post-game press conference felt newsworthy. Um, some people might disagree and avoid that, that, that uh, disagreement. What did you make of Matthew Myers' post-game presser? As a player, I'm interested in your, your take here. Yeah, in the moment when you're scrolling through Twitter, without context, it's, it's a bit jarring. But I always think back to being in those locker rooms. And... Guys care, man. Like guys care. These are, you know, this is their futures, like you're talking about. For the staff, this is their livelihoods. And there's a certain amount of passion that's tied to that. And in the heat of battle, there's a lot of emotion. And and at times it can be hard to compartmentalize that. We had a rule when I was at Illinois, you don't tweet an hour and a half before the game and you don't tweet an hour and a half after the game. Because there's too much emotion. It's hard It's hard to separate that. And Matt was clearly upset. And when you bring that to the podium, 
what ends up happening is it can be taken as this all-encompassing thing. His body language at the podium, oh, that's that must be how everyone feels. Now, Terrence had an interesting comment after he made his comments, but then Terrence at the end was like, hey, why is this this sad <laughs> right. press conference? Yeah, I felt and bad for guys, Terrence a bit, yeah. <laughs> then guys coming out afterwards and, and saying, because look, like I said, I've been in those locker rooms and the heat of the battle right after the games, things are so amplified. And then you got to go and talk about it. And, you know, it's amazing when you wake up the next morning how minuscule some of those things are. And you just move on. And while it can be headlines elsewhere and guys are talking about it and it's, we're chatting about it, that's three days ago for them. Yeah. And they're moving on. And, and I think, look, if all the stuff that went on in the locker rooms that I were, I was a part of, if yeah. those came it, out. I think this – see, I think this team, there's a certain element and a certain amount of things that should always, 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 always stay in-house. Always. This, you know, this team has a propensity to let things seep out a little bit more. Yes. But the, <laughs> but the things that, you know, most times – what's going on in a locker room for a lot of teams it's going on in a lot of places i'd say most places i'll just take you back like last was it last year with was two years ago with wisconsin when all that stuff was happening yeah like, two years ago that that didn't like leak out um and that was that sounded really bad like i i know you've been a part of some locker rooms that probably weren't all that great right like oh yeah that's why like but it's rare that it comes out Right, like it's it's pretty rare because you guys are coached on it. Your coaches tell you, like, hey, keep this stuff in here. But we've now heard Underwood go off on his team in a press mm-hmm. conference. Coleman says some interesting things at times, including this yeah. week. Uh, and, and and none of it's like wrong, but like, and then Matthew talked about some disagreement with his head coach. Like, I think all that stuff is notable because we normally don't see it. It doesn't mean I'm giving up on this team or I think this team's a train or anything because this happens in every team. And I think every year Brad Underwood's been the coach around this time of year, there's always like, I don't want to say a crossroads, Mike, but it's like, a all right, we got to figure this stuff out. And they usually do, right? So I feel like this team right now is probably just figuring some stuff out. Yeah, and it's personalities too, man. Like Team by team. I mean, think about when I was, when I was at Illinois, just – no different than any other locker room in college basketball. There was a ton of stuff that went on. Things that were said, guys getting kicked out of practice, guy, you know, all over the place. But, you know, the two guys that you would probably talk to in the media the most were Malcolm Hill and Kendrick Nunn. You know, Kendrick, you were it was tough to get two, three words out of him because, you know, he's just going to kind of finish the media and, and move on. That's just what he did. And Malcolm was, you know, Malcolm was another guy that, just kind of hit singles and was never going to say anything outlandish. That just wasn't really who he was. And Malcolm, look, was, I think you just had, yeah, Malcolm was chill. Malcolm yeah. was uh, for us one of our favorite guys to talk to because he was he was he was like always grateful for it. He was always nice to like, but he always said some stuff. But it was always yeah. what the team wanted him to say, right? Like it was, you never, I don't think they ever had to worry much about Malcolm going to the media. Yeah, and, and I'll touch on Coleman's comments too. And this is just my own personal opinion because I didn't, people were talking about the Coleman thing and then I went back and watched it. And when you listen to it, you're like, whoa. Like, but I think what he meant to say when he talked about, hey, you know, coach yells at us and, you know, I just tell the freshmen to like, 
not listen to it. <laughs> and I, I, I truly believe what Coleman meant was just like, and it's a great lesson for, you know, a lot of college basketball players because a lot of college coaches are loud, right? Get mm-hmm. on you. That's their way of teaching. And it's separating the delivery and the message, right? And I think what Coleman meant was like, hey, just brush it right off your shoulder the way that it's being said to you, but take the message, yeah. right? Like that's that's what you ultimately have to do. And I, I had teammates in the past that didn't do too well with that. I had teammates that, you know, Kendrick Nunn was just, you could say anything to him, nods his head and goes to work. Even I, I mean, I struggled with that. Yeah. I took it personally and I, I, I you can put, you internalize it and that's what you do when you're young. Right, because as much as we view these guys as he's a junior, he's a senior, twenty twenty one years old. <laughs> like I know they're they're old in the context of what a college student is, but they're still young in terms of going through things in life and how you deal with that stuff. And it's hard, man. It's really hard. And then not only that, you go from that to talking to people. And having to articulate that and Coleman is no doubt more outspoken than probably most players that I've seen. And I think, you know, for the most part, you just got to look at it and be like, hey, these these aren't big issues. These aren't issues that are different than any college basketball locker room. And time will tell. Right. Time will tell with this team. We're going to you could look back at it in a month and be like, hey, remember that Alabama A&M stuff? Yeah, like, like I I I don't matter? know if I don't know if it's a big thing. I don't think it's a nothing. I, I think it's a th- I guess a something. Like, I I don't know what it means. It's yeah. it's probably just more public than yeah. No, it's it's more public. I, I that's what I meant. That's what I said. Like yeah. this always seeps in a little bit more. It seems over the past few years with a couple of these guys. But you mentioned the crossroads. No, I I don't I don't think this team's at a crossroads. I think this is a team that's realizing that despite early success despite expectations there are still steps that can't be skipped when it comes to a new group and and that's what's hard right you know you you beat texas you beat ucla and you have this expectation as a team you have this expectation um as a group and then you lose to penn state and it's like the sky's falling and 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 guys have a hard time dealing with that and honestly it's weird because I remember being in those arenas for the game. It's different in the arena than it is watching it. Yeah. Like, I watched it, and I was like, yeah, you know, they're going to win this game. Like, they're going to beat Alabama A&M. I had, there was never a point in time where I thought they were going to lose that game. But I remember being in those games when I was there, and it feels different in that arena. Nice. There's this weird, like, tension. It's palpable. Like I texted oh you before, before Matthew Meyer checked in. I was like, I don't know. This this one feels like it's a little Yeah, and meanwhile down. I was sitting I was sitting at home watching that on BTN and I was like, Yeah, this I don't care Alabama AM go on a twenty oh run. They're not losing this game. Because Meyer was out. It was yeah. it was an interesting lineup. There was we could talk about it for days, but I, I I don't think this team this team is realizing right now what it takes to have success with a new group. Yeah. And and that comes with growing pains, and I think you're seeing those right now, and I think they're going to be better for it. Yeah, I still think they're they're really good, and hey, they're all that stuff, and they're the second highest ranked team in the Big Ten. 
in the AP top twenty-five. And I think I think they're also are they still the only team in America with two top ten Kempom wins? I believe so. Yeah. So we we know they're good. Early, yeah. I mean, early on, it's what you're eight and three mm-hmm. right now. I mean, I think we expected seven and four, eight and three. I think yeah. they're. I think in a way they're ahead of schedule. That said, Mike, I think this is a, this is a hugely important game for this team yeah. um, because Missouri, what are they, eleven and one here? But like soft schedule, uh, buzzer beater against UCF. Uh, got crushed by Kansas, their top opponent. Do have two top 100 Kempom wins, but they played nothing like Illinois. They struggled defensively. Some of their players they added, who they expected to be good, Isaiah Mosley, and some of these guys have been hurt and not making an impact. But still, this this is a toughness game, right? Like this is another yeah. one of those that Missouri's coming for this like, again. All these transfers, new players, maybe they don't know what this means, but I think this is an important game. What do you think? And what do you think of the matchup? Yeah, I think it's similar to that Penn State game. Not only is the bragging rights game a toughness game, so so are those 11 a.m. games. Like, there's a certain there's certain games where it's just throw out everything else. You got to play your butt off, and this Missouri team in particular, yeah, they're I mean their schedule's been atrocious, um, but what they do have is to a degree what's hurt this Illinois team this year and it's a bit undersized team right they don't have some sort of lumbering big you know, they they play guys at the five that can step out and do different things and um they shoot it pretty well um you know and, and then on top of that they got some dogs like they got dennis gates brought in a few guys that i've watched a lot of because i watched Wright state as well and these are guys that came from the horizon league deandre golston's a really good player you know he was all you know, first team All Horizon League. Demoy Hodge, Trey Gomillion also came from Cleveland State with uh, with Dennis Gates, and those guys were back to back Defensive Player of the Year in uh, in the Horizon League. So that guys that play and play hard and play desperate, and if you don't want to bring that in this game, I don't care that it's the bragging rights game. Just look at this Missouri team in general. Like this is a team that can beat you. Mm-hmm. What Kansas did was say, "Hey, like, we're going to be the aggressor. We don't care that it's at your place. We're going to spread you out." Uh, we're going to make you guard. We're going to move the ball from side to side, get downhill. And just like Kansas did against Indiana in you know in their next game, they played with just a certain amount of aggression and physicality. And that's what this team can do. Like Terrence is a physical guy, right? I think Matthew Meyer, when he wants to be, can be a physical guy. And Coleman, same thing. Like you got to take it to these guys. Because I, I don't know what this game's going to mean in terms of like the history of it. You know, we we did a lot of stuff with that the week leading up to it, and who knows? It, it may mean, it's going to mean different things to different guys. But throw it all out. You have to play hard, man. Like this this team plays with pace. They're up and down, but this is going to be really their second, maybe third test of the year yeah. with the with UCS UCF and Kansas being really the only two teams that were within like the top two hundred of Kempom. So. I, throw it all out, man. You, you got to play hard and, and play tough in this game, in this environment. All right. What uh, Zachary Perrine, uh, Illinois just announced, is joining the team at semester. 6'10", 220-pound forward from France, of course. Uh, spent Sunrise Christian Academy. Only practiced there. Wasn't 
wasn't playing. Brad said, we're excited to have Zach arrive on campus, begin his academic and athletic career at the University of Illinois. He's remained loyal to us throughout the recruiting process, eager to be officially being Illini. Joining a team midseason is certainly a unique situation, but Zach is a driven, committed young man who takes school and basketball seriously, our coaches and support staff. We tell us our players are here to welcome him and offer support through this transition. My expectations wouldn't be high on him joining the rotation, right? Like, there's a, there's a freshman, big man. You got Dane and Coleman Hawkins. Um, maybe he gets some spot minutes here every once in a while, just in a big body. Um, but certainly an intriguing long-term prospect, Mike. So what do you make him joining now? So is he eligible to play? Yes. Yeah, that's interesting because I think if there's if there's a guy that potentially surprises you as a midseason eligible guy it's a guy with his measurables and mm-hmm. his IQ I you know I I would not expect I, I should say I'd be shocked if he's all of a sudden getting real minutes right. but who knows I mean he's a guy where you throw him into the game and maybe it's against Bethune Cookman or what or I guess when it so is he eligible now they said they said we'll join the program immediately uh, so we got to get some follow-ups Brad Underwood is about to meet the media here yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect much, but for him to get in at semester, I think is important because one, you see just how things work and how it works midseason and what that locker room's like midseason, how it functions, and seemed like it was you know, great anytime, for Dane. Yeah, for sure. No, and, and again, like this is, I think just like Dane had a lot of. Uh, you know, benefited greatly from playing against Kofi every day in practice. I think, you know, Zachary Prynne can uh, benefit from playing against guys like Coleman and Dane, and it's only going to help him. So whether or not he helps his team in the immediate future, who knows? Would be shocked if he did, but anytime you can add a piece like that, I don't care when it is, it's a it benefits your program. Michael Toop, you're the goods, man. Appreciate the time as always. Appreciate it. Great stuff as always from Michael to appreciate his time as always. We got early signing period. We plan on doing a live podcast at some point during the morning. Uh, get you up to date. We'll dive deeper into this class and everything that's going on with Illinois football. So be on the lookout for that on our YouTube channel. Give us a like over there. Hit the subscribe button. And you get the notifications that we're going live. We'll tweet that out as well at some point. But we have tons of of signing day content coming. Uh, Spent several days uh, getting ready for this day, and we will unleash that on you tomorrow as Illinois is expected to sign 20-plus players to their class. We'll talk with Brett Bioma, hoping to get Aaron Henry at some point. Uh, We hear we're not getting the rest of the assistants, which is a bummer because it's always great catching up with those guys and getting the stories behind these recruitments and stuff. But we'll uh, get the latest from Bioma. He's going to take us through his uh, film room breakdown, which I always find Fascinating. I guess we've only done it once, but I will find it fascinating yet again this year uh, to get some insight from from the head coach, and uh, we'll have that up on our YouTube channel as well whenever we can get it to you. But plenty of content coming. We've got 50% off a VIP subscription if you're not a VIP subscriber yet. So go ahead and do that. We've got plenty of football content coming up and basketball preparing for the big bragging rights game. So check us all out at Illini Inquirer. Give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. And again, hit us up on YouTube and follow us on that channel as well. Everybody take care of each other. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.